This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. The rise in coronavirus cases, along with new modeling, is raising new questions about whether kids can go back to school this fall. This concerning projection comes from the Bellevue Institute of Disease Modeling. Researchers there have looked at cases in King County through June alongside a variety of mitigation efforts schools could use. So things like grouping kids in different age groups, masks, contact tracing. And it found that without those measures in place, transmission rates of the virus could double in the first three months of school. The report is called Schools Are Not Islands. It also found that community-wide mitigation efforts were even more important. That's because if the current transmission rate doesn't drop by the end of August, it might not be safe to welcome students back at all. This is a very important report that um, is sobering. That's King County Public Health Director Dr. Jeff Duchin. It is telling us that at this time, uh, there is too much COVID-19 transmission in our community to support school reopening. And I find that conclusion uh, very problematic. Uh, It reflects the intense interdependence uh, that we have on one another in this community in order to move forward safely in the era of COVID-19. Dr. Duchin says we need to, in his words, reboot. He says we've been moving forward too quickly since certain restrictions lifted, and that's what's causing this concerning rise in transmission rates. Here in King County, our levels of cases have approximately tripled since mid-June. We're heading in the wrong direction and everyone needs to understand that if we continue to head in the wrong direction, it will be extremely difficult to bring students back to school. So everyone needs to stop and reset how they're thinking about going about their lives in the era of COVID-19. And now some teachers unions are pushing back on plans to reopen that include Seattle Public Schools teachers They've issued a statement uh, calling it reckless under current conditions. They're now advocating for 100 percent remote learning. Some other cities across the country are doing that. L.A., San Diego. I think I heard San Francisco in California is also on board now, too. It's very discouraging. Um, I think the the key may be to look upon the nose and mouth as private parts. (laughs) So if you're old enough to have to wear pants, you should be old enough to wear a mask. I, I don't. I know this is out of step, but I don't think online learning is going to be a viable substitute for in-person learning. Uh, I think it is a real problem, not just for kids, but, of course, for their families to say that we're not going to ever go back to school. And so uh, I I think it's a matter of getting serious about enforcing the mask rules and washing hands. And And for people who don't want to do that, then they need to join a different society, I guess, because... Um, those are the rules here. It'd be like someone saying, well, we don't we don't want to eat anymore because we think it's a nuisance. Well, you know, Mother Nature is going to exact a cost for that. And, and we have to look at masking up the same way if we want to get back to business. I mean, when you look at the number of um, businesses that have shut down, mm-hmm. you look at the number of lives that have been interrupted by, by trying to defend against this virus, uh, we're going to we're going to close ourselves into a a long-term depression. You can't do that. There there are health consequences to that as well, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. People who choose not to for whatever reason listen to the science or not socially distance or not mask up are sabotaging the economy and 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 sabotaging their own efforts and trying to 
get businesses back open and get our kids back to school. But what's happening right now, it's clear. I mean, the governor's office has said it. We're hearing it from the, the public health officers right now. If the trends continue the way they are, they are setting the stage for further closures and for schools to not open, at least in certain parts of the state. Yeah, I would say if uh, if this is a if it's a political protest that you're you're trying to engineer here by not wearing a mask, uh, put your protest slogan on the mask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you want to protest against Governor Inslee, if you want to protest against uh, whoever is is, uh, robbing you of your freedom, uh, put the mask over your mouth and saying, I'm being robbed of my freedom. Mm hmm. And then uh, and then breathe through it. But um, that that's what's going to have to happen because I'm I'm sick of this. I don't know about you. I mean, yeah. I, w- I would like to go out again. We used to go to what four shows a week, and mm-hmm. uh, theater, the theaters aren't coming back anytime soon. I feel really sad for people who used to make their living uh, acting and have uh, essentially nothing to do now. But um, if we're ever going to get back there, for crying out loud, this you got to figure out a way to safely open the schools. And I, I think that's where, where all our energy should be focused at this point, even to the point of um, setting up mock classrooms, right, and squirting that uh, green dust or whatever they use in the laboratories to see exactly what would work and, and what might not work instead mm. of, uh, you know, using the kids as the as the guinea pigs. We got a month here to go, right? Yeah. Let's set up a mock classroom and, and put a bunch of volunteer kids in there <laughs> and give them uh, little squeezers so they can, you know, puff the uh, green dust through masks and see what works and then uh, do what the science tells us. On Monday, Washington State reported a record high of new coronavirus cases, 1,357. But at the same time, the number of deaths from COVID-19 went down by close to 40. Now, How does the death toll go down? To explain why and how that's happening, we invited Katie Hutchinson on Seattle's Morning News. Hutchinson is the health statistics manager for the Washington State Department of Health and where they are recategorizing deaths that they thought were from coronavirus. Here's how she explained it used to work. Let's say someone tests positive for COVID-19 and then dies from some obviously unrelated cause, like a car accident or an overdose. Prior to mid-June, the department would automatically count that death in the larger COVID-19 death toll it publishes every day. And just kind of as a, you know, information on how many of those that we've had, uh, since the start of the outbreak, um, we have had nine deaths in total that are either homicide, suicide, or overdose. They also investigated cases where someone had a positive coronavirus test but died perhaps of natural causes rather than the virus itself. After sorting through a backlog of information, which they started doing in mid-June, the overall count of COVID-19 deaths in Washington has gone down now by 4%. So I think one of the things, too, that also needs to be recognized with this is that there are a number of deaths out there um, that we don't know anything about that are probably COVID-related. We also have a number of deaths where on the death certificate, it says that they died of COVID, um, but we don't have a corresponding test. Um, so we have about 80 of those and that we are not reporting. Um, so there are probably more deaths that were not currently reflected on our dashboard. This includes deaths that happened early on during the outbreak, before we had tests available and before people even knew the disease was spreading in the community. And these are deaths that we will never be able to identify and we will never be able to count. 
Now, there have been accusations that the early death data from COVID-19 was skewed or inaccurately reported and with some motive, perhaps causing people to worry about the deadliness of this disease more than they should and encouraging a Democrat-sponsored election-ruining lockdown. So I asked Hutchinson up front, is there any truth to that? So we're not padding the deaths that we're reporting We are presenting the information as quickly and accurately as we can. And in that process, we are trying to speed up a death reporting process that normally takes up to a year. And in that process, we spend a lot of time to do follow-up and quality assurance on that information before uh, reporting it. So with COVID, we've had to definitely speed up that process and to a day to a couple of weeks. Dave, I also heard you ask Katie Hutchinson there if if the death count was accurate all along, uh, even, even if we did have this 4% drop from the get-go, would that have changed anything? And her answer was, well, likely no. So even no. if you are one of the people who thinks that the state is padding the numbers, it's kind of a moot point because we would still be in the same position we are right now. Essentially, the death count is still likely in undercounts because we still have deaths that were reported back in March and April that we don't have positive tests for because back then we didn't have enough tests. And a lot of people who died then didn't fit the the category or, or sort of fit the mold of COVID-19 cases that we knew about at that time. Right. So it's not too surprising. The actual precipitating cause of death can sometimes be a judgment call. And when they discovered that they were actually counting as COVID death, somebody was killed in a car crash. I mean, that's obviously ridiculous. And so they've gone back and corrected that. I think one of the reasons that you want to do the interview was to be upfront about it. That's my feeling anyway. And to say, look, we're adjusting the death count. It's true. We might have uh, been publishing one that was skewed high. That's true. But we're not trying to snow you in some way. What we're trying to do is make it more accurate. And we're learning as we go along. And um, I think she's asking for some some patience on this. And what they're going to do is they're going to continue to report the deaths in real time. But just know that some of the numbers might not add up because after reporting one that they thought was COVID upon further investigation or after an autopsy, it might prove that something else was the actual cause, in which case they would take that off the list. And if I if I just may tease to an upcoming episode of this COVID-19 podcast, I'm working on a feature for this Saturday about what are known as COVID-19 long haulers. So these are people who got mm. sick a long time ago, and they're still showing symptoms. And and some of the doctors I've talked to say, you know, here in America, we tend to focus a little bit too much on on the death count. And this st- a story like this might give sort of the uh, the skeptics a reason to sort of pound their chest and say, see, they were part of the numbers and, and the death rate is down. And that's a good thing, right? But what the doctors I've talked to have told me is that Let's also look at the people who've survived and also the people who are still in recovery. Because yeah. even though you may have had a quote-unquote mild case that doesn't put you you know, in the hospital or doesn't kill you, you can still have very long-term effects from this disease, and we're still learning so much about it. One of the symptoms of COVID-19 is you can develop what's known as acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, it's obviously a, a, lung, a lung illness, right? And, and there are studies in the past that show people who have contracted ARDS, A-R-D-S, don't return to work in five years from now because they're in just such bad shape. So as, as, we, as we learn more about this disease and as, and as time goes on, we're really going to understand just how f- 
how severe this, this disease was, not just in terms of the death toll, but also in terms of the people who've recovered and survived. And so we'll hear more about that on Saturday then, huh? Yes, correct. Excellent. Tune in. Okay. Tune in. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the country's top infectious disease expert, says the White House is doing itself and the public a disservice by trying to discredit him. You know, it, it is a bit bizarre. I don't really fully understand it. Dr. Fauci spoke with The Atlantic. If you talk to reasonable people in the White House, they realize that was a major mistake on their part because it doesn't do anything but reflect poorly on them. And, and I don't think that that was their intention. Dr. Fauci was referencing an op-ed written by White House advisor Peter Navarro, who wrote that Fauci has been wrong about everything he's interacted with him on. I can't explain Peter Navarro. He's in a world by himself, so I don't even want to go there. Yesterday, President Trump tried to exclude himself from this narrative and said that he has a great relationship with Dr. Fauci. He also directly responded to Navarro's op-ed saying, quote, he made a statement representing himself. He shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, that's fine. I'm trying to figure out how the president, how the president, announces that publicly and not just tells him, "Look, before you go public with this, how about you run it by me first? Yeah, good point. Also, yesterday, the Trump administration uh, mandated that hospitals sidestep the CDC and send data about COVID-19 hospitalizations and equipment directly to the Department of Health and Human Services. There, there was speculation. That the government is trying to cover up this critical information. But CDC Director Robert Redfield says no one is taking access away from the CDC. And he says the change is actually streamlining the reporting. I want to emphasize that having the fastest possible access to data, as well as easy ways to analyze it and modify the data collection, has very real benefits for our public health response. I'm not exactly sure what to make of this development this morning, but on the CDC website right now, they have taken away the the dashboard that shows hospitalization rates. And and I was looking around the CDC website to see if it was anywhere. I, I couldn't find it in the few minutes that I searched around that I went to the Health and Human Services website to try to find some of those statistics. I'm not saying they're not available, um, but it is an interesting development that the dashboard uh, is no longer on the CDC website. Hmm. I'll bet the Russian hackers could find it. We will be back tomorrow and every day after with a 10-minute rundown of the daily local news. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.